Hey, welcome to Sunday Messages. We pray this message inspires and encourages you to go deeper in an overflowing relationship with Jesus. Anyway, we're happy to have you here this morning. We are in our final week of our series called Family Values. As we just sort of re-engage the values that God has laid out for us as a family, not just as household families, but as a family of God. And trying to re uh, connect ourselves, realign ourselves to the values that God has for us. And it really stems with this, this one question is, is that are great relationships even possible? Like, is it even possible to have great relationships? And so some, if you look at the stats, if you look at, uh, you know, the stats in the church and outside the church, they aren't looking too great. You know, the breakup rate, the divorce rate is probably just about the same, I think, at this point. And um, so it, the possibility of having great relationships is a challenge. We know that it is possible, but if we do it the world's way, it's probably not probable. And God outlines a clear way in how we are supposed to engage in relationships that honor one another and honor him. And so we've been kind of hanging on this thesis statement is that we're going to allow the one who designed relationships to define them. The one who designed relationships makes the most sense, right? If we're gonna, we want to know how this thing works, let's go to the operator, let's go to the user manual and figure out how this relationship works. It's like trying to figure out how, how to run your car. You run out of gas. You're like, oh, I'm just going to put water in this thing. It won't work. It'll break, you know? And it's not, it's not the water's fault. It's because you didn't know what was right for the machine. And I think God has a clear value, a clear structure, a clear order in how we are supposed to live our life that honors him and honors one another. And so we've been navigating through these, these values. One of the values we talked about was covenant. We talked about covenant over contract. We said the value, the un- covenant is this unconditional commitment to an imperfect people. And it's, it's based on mutual commitment. It surrenders rights. It assumes responsibilities. It has the interests of the other in mind. It's understanding that covenant allows us to make choices that lead, right? We, we lead by choices and we let our feelings to follow. You know, our feelings will follow those good choices. And thankfully, this is the type of relationship Jesus wants to have with us that is, that is based on his commitment to us, to an imperfect people. Then we talked about value of interdependence over independence. And we understand that independence, while independence is desired natural goal, independence in the kingdom is not really a value that we pursue when it comes to relationship with God and others. Rather, we are invited to this interdependent relationship of a united people. And what does this look like? It's the ability to work together, hand in hand, moving together to our common goal by living out a common purpose while mutually working through hurdles and hurts that are inevitable along the way. Right? We're going to hurt each other. We're going to trip up. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to say things we wish you didn't say. We're going to do things we want to take back. An interdependent relationship is not putting too much burden on one another, but allowing our burden to go on Christ and then being healed through that as we work side by side. Last week, Pastor Spencer talked about discipleship over discipline. This value that as parents, we are the primary pastors of our home. And we are not to abdicate our responsibility to the church, but rather it is our responsibility. The church is not a substitute, but a, but a, a, a what's the word I'm looking for? It's a support, supplement. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you, Spencer. Uh, to the ministry. And so we are working together. Discipleship is a proactive teaching towards godly Living, it's helped our children find what they lost in the nat- through the natural consequences of cause and effect. And it's also establishing boundaries to say, hey, you need to obey me, not because I'm the parent, but because we're following and pursuing God's way together. We're doing this together. And so with this huge value of covenant, of interdependence, and 
discipleship that we are leaning into and that, that strengthens the family home. If you missed any of those messages, I would encourage you to go back and take a listen and allow them to encourage you. But today we're going to conclude this series by talking about community, the value of community over competition. The value of community over competition. It's funny, I was doing some research this week and doing some, you know, you Google, you pop in Google. It's amazing the things you come up when you pop in Google, that just competition. I came across this document that outlines crazy competitions. Pretty interesting stuff. Do you know that there's things, there's a competition for pig diving? Like, it's a real thing. Pig diving in, uh, in Australia, they have, in Melbourne, Australia, they do pig diving, where people bring their trained pigs to dive off diving boards, and who, I don't know what the goal is, um, but they dive. I don't know. It's what it is. There is in, uh, in Georgia, of course, in East Dublin, Georgia, in, in the annual Redneck Games, they have toilet seat cover toss. Toilet seat toss. Kind of like ring, uh, horseshoe toss, I would imagine. Um, they have wife carrying contests in Maine. They have ostrich racing in, in Arizona. There's elephant polo in Nepal. In Nepal, you can do polo on an elephant. If riding an elephant was not adventurous enough, try doing it with a polo stick. We got cup stacking, we got food eating, we got outhouse racing, we got pumpkin chunking, chucking, and pumpkin sailing. And the newest thing I've been seeing, and it's all over my Instagram because I'm riddled by it, is the, is the UFC slapping contest. You've seen those things where they both stand there and they just slap one another and they take it and they see who knocks each other open with a slap. Who comes up with this stuff? It's crazy. These guys are not right. There's something not right. There's something not right. But they commit to it anyway. I, I, even, I even found a, a, a sport that my friend Ashley would love. Ashley Hagman's is a birder. Any other birders in the house? Do you know that there's a World Series for birders? Yeah, exactly. I said the same thing. It's who can spot the, the, wild, the widest variety of winged feathered species in a 24-hour period. There's something for everybody. Two that I thought were hilarious. One is called extreme ironing. Look at this. Extreme Ironing, and I'm just reading from the website. According to its official website, this is the latest danger sport that combines the thrill of extreme outdoor activity with the satisfaction of a well-pressed shirt. <laughs> and it requires contestants to take ironing through an ironing board to challenging locations like the Antarctic, on top of a mountain or under the water, and attempt to lay waste to those unsightly wrinkles. This is a sport. This is a competition. Who would have thought? Or how about this one? Chess boxing. What about this one? Chess boxing. I love it. The World, the world Chess Boxing Organization. The world? There's an organization that encompasses the world for this thing? The World Chess Boxing Organization has exquisitely combined the cerebral, a four-minute round of chess, with the sweet sincere of pounding the cerebellum a three-minute round of boxing until spouts of chirp, until, until it sprouts chirping birds. There's a limit of 11 rounds, and a winner can be declared by knockout, by checkmate, or referee's decision. <laughs> like, if chess wasn't aggressive enough for you, take it into the ring where you can knock each other out. Like, just, there's no limit to the amount of competition that was, is within our culture. If you're looking for some sort of competition, you will find it, it is there. This drive within us to compare and to compete isn't new. It has been restless from the beginning. In fact, you go right to the beginning of Genesis, you see this already even in the story of Cain and Abel, this, this competition comparing and competing the sons of Adam and Eve. 
And it's revealed even in our, the, new, the, new, the first century church, what we read about in the New Testament. And so today, what I want to do with our time together is just share a few stories from the scripture and then help identify the issue of this competition issue and then and give us some steps that we can take to put value back, to place value on community over competition as we talk about that within our community, not within our church even, but with, also within our community. And so the first story is found in John chapter 3, and it starts like this. So Jesus was with, uh, and his disciples left Jerusalem, and they went to the Judean countryside. And Jesus spent time there with them, baptizing people. And at this time, John the Baptist was also baptizing at Anon and Selene, because there was plenty of water there. And the people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was thrown into prison. And a debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew, a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. And so John's disciple came to him and said, Rabbi, the man that you met on the other side of the river, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing. I, I just love how they identify Jesus. Is, you know that guy? You know that guy that you baptized last week and you called him the Messiah, though we don't, we're not really convinced yet? You know that guy? That guy is now starting his own church. He's doing his own thing. They're not coming. They're going to him to get baptized now. He says, and everyone is going to him instead of coming to us. There's a new church in town. John, do you know that? They're not coming to you anymore. They're going to that church. They're going to that guy. I mean, it sounds so silly to hear them read it, but how many times do we do this you know, in our own language? So John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. So you yourself know how plainly I've told you, I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. What is John saying? He says, listen, I am not, nor have I ever been, has it been about me. It's not about me. I've been, I've been very clear from this. This is not about me. This is about him. It's the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear the vows. I was thinking about this even this morning. It's amazing how John, before even Jesus establishes the New Testament church, before even establishes that the church is the bride of Christ, John is identifying himself as one, the bride, as the one who's part of the marriage supper, but also as the, the friend of the groom. Like, I get to co-labor with Christ in the bringing together of the ceremony. Therefore, he says, I am filled with joy at his success. I'm filled with joy at his success. For he must become greater, and I must become less and less. And here we see this beautiful story of really potential division, competition, that can creep into the church. So we fast forward 50 years, and we see Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, his first letter. And reading from the message uh, paraphrase, it says this, I have, I have serious concern to bring up with you, my friends. This is, you never, when a letter starts with like that, you just hold on. It's never going to be good. It says, using the authority of Jesus, our master, I'm going to put it as urgently as I can. You must get along with each other. You must learn to be considerate of one another, cultivating a life in common. Meaning, I love the, NL, the NL New Living Translation says, there must be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Here is what, Paul's even speaking to this idea we talked about a couple weeks ago, this interdependent relationship, where you are united in common cause, united in thought and purpose. He says, I bring this up because someone from Chloe's family brought the most disturbing report to my attention. Chloe, is, we assume, is just a Christian woman who, who knew Paul, who was living in Corinth, acquaintance. 
and you're fighting among yourself. This is what you're doing. You're fighting among yourself. And I'll tell you exactly what they're telling me, just so there's, no, there's nothing to be misread. He says, you're picking sides. You're going around saying, I'm on Paul's side, or I'm on Apollos' side, or I'm, I'm, Peter is my man. He's the man. He's the man. I'm on the Messiah's group. I ask you, is the Messiah been chopped up into little pieces so that each one of you can have a relic all to his own? Was Paul crucified you? Crucified for you? Was a single one of you baptized in Paul's name? I was not involved with any of your baptisms. Oh, except for Crispus and Gaius. I love how, this is the funniest part of scripture. Let me just, just bear with me because I think it's hilarious. I was not involved in any of your baptisms except for Crispus and Gaius. On getting this report, I'm so glad I wasn't so that at least none of you can go around saying I was baptized in the name. Actually, come to think about, I actually baptized Stephanus' family. But that's all I can remember at this point. <laughs> it's just hilarious. It's like Paul, he's just having a complete moment. He's like, oh yeah, I forgot, about, I forgot about that family. I did them too. But no one else, I think. So good. Who says scripture isn't fun? You know. So God didn't send me, here it is. God didn't send me out to collect the following for myself. Ooh, hear this. God did not send me out to collect a following for myself, but to preach the message. What's the message? The good news, the gospel news of what Jesus has done, collecting a following for him. This is what we are called to do. This is the, I, I, we're not going to get, he's, Paul's like, I'm not going to get pulled into the competitiveness. I'm not going to get pulled into the divisiveness. I'm not going to get pulled into the dividing of what you're trying to do. No, no, no. We're all, all this is for him. It was never, he echoes kind of what John says. It was never about me, ever. It was never, nor has it ever been about me. It's always been about Jesus. And so here's what I've been praying through, identifying the issue. See, there's a spirit of competition creeps in to our hearts and to our church when we lose sight of the finish line and who's on our team. When we lose sight of the prize, like the finish line, like the goal, the aspiration, and we actually lose sight of who we're actually doing this with, the spirit of competition creeps within our heart. Maybe you've understand this. Maybe you've had a moment. Maybe there's a situation where you've had an agreement with your spouse. Maybe, maybe it happened this morning. Maybe it didn't. I don't know. You know. Figuratively speaking, let's just say. You have a disagreement with your spouse or a friend or a family. And, and I don't know if you've ever had these kind of disagreements. Surely I have never had these kind of disagreements. But if you have, you know, what happens is you begin to pull in the other issues, you know, the things that you wanted to talk about but you haven't been talking about for a long time. You just start pulling all the other issues into your discourse because you're so committed to winning this argument, you know, that you eventually forget what you started the whole discussion in the first place. You're like, what are we even fighting about? I have no idea. You know, it just made it so complicated that you forgot because you forgot what you're fighting for and you forgot who's on your team. No, no, we're on the same team here. We're trying to find, finish the finish line together, and it leaves you feeling more divided rather than on the same team. Now, maybe you're super spiritual and you don't have fights with your spouse. Here's another example. What happens when you go to the grocery store? Maybe you've had this experience, so I've gone to the grocery store. My wife tells me to go pick up something healthy, most likely, like broccoli or a salad or something that I don't really enjoy eating. But I, it's good. If, and, you go to, and then you see all the things that weren't on the grocery list but are more appealing to my senses, you know? And so you go through the job, and you're just like, ooh, I like that, and I like that. Never go to the grocery store when you're hungry. That's the worst time to go. But uh, so you just start picking all the things, and you forget. You see all these, other, these things that are competing for your attention, and then you leave forgetting the one thing you were supposed to buy when you first went. Does that happen to anybody else? Am I the only one? Like, oh, yeah, I was supposed to get that. Forgot that. Uh, I'll go back. Um, 
So, and this happens, right? When we, this spirit of competition and competition rises up in our heart, it causes us to forget our goal, what are we trying to accomplish, and forget who team, who team we are on. And so really when it comes down to it is competition distracts us from the main thing. The spirit of competition. Now, hear me when I say this. I, my boys play sports. They play hockey. They play baseball. I'm not talking about healthy kind of team-like sport-on-sport competition. I'm not talking about the kind of competition even that you have with your business partners where you're trying to encourage one another and, and through healthy competition, bringing out the best in one another that is unifying towards a common goal. I'm not talking about that type of competition. That competition is healthy. I think it's good for every child, every, every person to have some sort of competition that's sort of making me better, right, in a healthy way. What I'm talking about is I'm talking about the ugliness in our hearts. Hear me now. Because this lives within all of us or the potential to live within all of us. I'm talking about the ugliness in our hearts that seeks to divide or even destroy the people on our same team. And then we create this us versus them mentality. It could be another church. It could be another ministry. It could be another family. It could be another small group. Whatever it is that creates this divide between us versus them. The spirit of competition that causes us to fight and to quarrel among ourselves. That pushes this group versus that group, or this ministry versus that ministry, or quite frankly, we see this the most, is that church versus that church. Churches against one another, and there's a sense of competition where when you hear one church is doing well, you, want to see, you know you should celebrate, but part of me is like jealous that your church isn't doing well. Or you try to compare, compare and say, well, we're doing this. Well, you're doing, well, we're doing this. And instead of celebrating with one another and uniting around a common goal, you just, this ugliness creeps up in you. Do you know what I'm talking about? Am I, am I just preaching to myself today? Right? I love how the writer of Hebrews tells us, you got to fix our, we got to let us run with perseverance the, mark, the, the, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. we gotta, we got to fix our eyes on the main thing. Do not lose sight of the prize, the pioneer and the effect of our faith. What does community do? Community unites us around a common mission. It unites us around a common mission. Really, community is broken into two words. It's common unity, right? We have common unity around a common mission. We have a common meaning like-minded, right? We have a like-minded approach. And unity meaning togetherness. We are in this like-minded togetherness, running the same race, pursuing a common prize, a common goal. And this is the invitation, this is the value that Jesus is inviting you and I into. What are some of the differences between competition and Christ-centered community here, some of them, just so we can understand it fully? Competition focuses on dividing differences, right? Focus on the things that divide us, where Christ-centered community seeks to unite similarities. Like, what are the things that draw us together? Uh, a competition, it, it keeps others at a distance, right? Like, keeps others at a harm's way, because we don't want to pull you too close. We're trying to, wait, well, I want to beat you where our Christ-centered community invites others close. Competition is about me and my reputation or our church name and our fame and our story and our following, where Christ-centered community is all about him, Christ, and his reputation. I truly believe this phrase with this value that we say as a church is that we are better together. We are better together. And I know we use that in the context of teams and small groups, but I truly believe when it comes to even the local church, the, the fellowship of believers within our community, we are better together. I just want you to hear me say that I know that the Harbor Church is not the church in our community. It is a church in our community. 
I just want you to hear me say that. I am not in competition with the other churches. I, 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 who I'm in competition with? I'm in competition with the devil. Because no matter how big the other church is getting in town, no matter how big the other churches in town are getting, the devil's church is still bigger. And I'm not called to pull people from other churches. I'm called people to pull from those who aren't connected to Jesus into relationship with him. We want to build Christ's church, not build our church. And so we are committed. I believe that we are better together. We are so committed to this as pastors in town. We meet once a month. Evangelical pastors in town, we meet once a month to encourage each other, to cheer each other on, to pray for one another. Because we are committed to this reality. We are better together. So hear me, this is not something I'm just preaching, say, go and do. This is something I'm practicing. I believe in it so much that we are better together. I believe in the power of united church. You've heard me say this before, that the devil seeks to divide what God seeks to unite. He's seeking to divide us. We should not be surprised when division rises up in our heart because that's the enemy trying to divide the family, the church, the local assembly, the body of Christ. He wants to divide us and isolate us, right? And so we got to pursue unity in Christ. I love this story in Acts 2.42. We see this almost as this beautiful picture of kind of the early church. Many of us know this scripture in Acts 2.42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayer. And everyone was filled with awe and wonders, and, as the, wonder, what the wonders uh, and, and many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Such a beautiful line. They, they sold their property and possessions and gave everyone to, to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to gather in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. Here we see this beautiful picture, this almost utopian picture of the first century church. And I remember so many times, like leaving Bible college and, and going into ministry for the first time, and just like, God, what would it look like to be part of a community that is, that is united in common purpose? That, it, that, that, that goes so far to say, hey, I'm going to give you, if you need something, we're going to help you along the way. I, I'm even willing to sell something that I like and that I enjoy so that you can have what you need. Like, amazing type of this almost utopian, is it even possible community. And it really is this church, this, this Christ-centered community of like-mindedness together, running the same race, pursuing the same goal. See, all throughout the New Testament, we, the word that is used for church is this word ecclesia. This word, it's from the Greek. It's a Greek word, ecclesia. It's broken into two parts, ek and kleo. Ek meaning to, out from and to, so it's like out from and towards something. And kleo meaning to call, to call. So when we think about the church, when we think about the church we think it's in the minds of the first century, Jew, uh, first century Christians, the church was a united group of people called out from one place to another. You could probably define it a called out assembly or congregation. A called out. Out of one way of living, out of one way of thinking, out of one race, out of one, one aspiration into another. We see this, this word used 120 times in the New Testament. And not once, hear me. Not once is it in reference to a building or a place. It's always in reference to a people. So somewhere along the way, we got distracted, didn't we? Somewhere along the way, we got distracted by beginning to making the gathering place and that gathering of people the main thing. And we got distracted and we lost focus on what the finish line is 
and who was on our team. And I think it's time that we come back to the ancient paths and to see how God established the church from the beginning. Here it is. The Ecclesia of Jesus is not a place. It is a called out people on mission. The Ecclesia of, of, of Jesus, the church of Christ, is not a place. It is the people on mission. You do not go to church. You are the church. We gather in this place as a local assembly, but this building is not a place. In a lot of ways, and I'm going to step on a little toes here, it's the reason why I don't call this the sanctuary. I call this an auditorium. Because you are the temple of God. You are the sanctuary. We're in the New Testament church. The temple of the God's presence does not reside in the temple like the Old Testament. He resides in you. You are the temple. You are the sanctuary. This is just a hub. This is a gathering. We can do whatever we want to this building. It's not holy. We do not make this building holy. You are holy. You are set apart as the, as the Spirit of God resides in you. Be holy, Jesus says, speaking to you and me, for I am holy. Not speaking to the building. Not speaking to the, the bricks and the mortar, the carpet. Be holy, be set apart. And so he's it's speaking to a peace. I love how Jesus, you know, he, he goes to his first followers, his first disciples are fishermen. And what we know about fishermen, it just fishermen were, they went and they caught fish in one place, and they brought them to another place. Like, he's speaking to this idea, this notion that fishermen are, are understanding that I am going to find people in one place, and I'm going to invite them into another place. I'm going to find people who are living on their own, and I'm going to invite them into a life of mission. Being called out is not a one-hour-a-week change. Hear me, church, people of God. Being called out is not saying, I'd go to church one hour a week. I'm called, I'm set apart, I'm different. That's not the ecclesia of Jesus. Being called out, it being called ones, is a complete change of identity and purpose. It changes your value system, it changes your focus, it changes your objective, it changes how you approach your friends and your work and your community and how you raise your children. The purpose of the church is to leave the old life behind. I'm called out of that life for a new life. And I know some of us are like, well, I'm not where I want to be. I, 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 don't, I know I have so many hills and so many hurdles that I have to climb. And I tell you what, that's okay. Because when you look back, you're not where you used to be either. And so you're standing in this journey of I'm saved, but I'm in the process of being made new day by day as I walk out discipleship, as I allow him to form me and remold me and sanctify me day by day. I'm called on purpose. I still have a goal. I still have a finish line. I still know who's on my team. And I might have to slow down and walk a little bit because I got a cramp. But I'm committed, to the, I'm committed to finishing this race. Committed to finishing this race. Hebrews 10 tells us, so let us encourage one another. So let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some of the habits of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as we see the day approaching. Why does the writer of Hebrews do this? Because if you're like me, you drift. You drift. And I know it's only seven days between Sunday to Sunday, but sometimes there's a lot of life can happen in those seven days. Like a lot of drifting can take place. Because we go into the world, we go into challenges, we go, into, we go back into our, even our homes and our families that are, that are in a season where we're fighting through and we're just drifting away. We lose sight of the prize, we lose sight of the focus, we lose sight of who's on our team. And we allow the spirit of competition to creep in our hearts 
again, and we begin to fight for the wrong things. We begin to fight for the wrong things, thinking that church size or whatever is the biggest, that's the goal. No, 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 no. We're fighting for the kingdom of God. We're fighting for his glory. So this morning, real quick, I just want to give you three things. If we're going to fight, like if you want to fight, if you want to be a chess fighter, chess boxer, you know, if that's you this morning, you're like, I'm just committed to just boxing and, and chess. If you're committed to fighting, I want to give you three things that you can fight for. Because I believe this is worth fighting for. We're going to fight for common unity. So how do you fight for common unity? First thing you do is you got to find your footing. you got to find your footing. It's funny, I, I'm not a boxer, so I can't pretend I'm a boxer, but I do know when I watched all the Rocky movies and uh, those kind of stuff, you know, <laughs> that footwork is a big issue, you know. you got to have fancy feet. you got to keep your feet moving. Uh, I do know baseball a little bit. I understand that baseball, all your power comes in from your feet, whether you're throwing or catching. Like you got, it all comes from your feet. You've got you to find your footing. You've got to find your footing. And if you don't have good foundation, if you don't have a good foundation, then the rest of it doesn't follow through. You don't have the same power on the other side. It's funny how Jesus tells us in Matthew 7. He says, Jesus says, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, it's like the wise man who built his house on the rock. Like you've got to find your footing on the word of God. See, the rains came, the storms rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. See, it always starts with your feet. Where are you planted? If we want to fight for unity, we got to, be, we got to unify around common ground. And the word of God is our common ground. That is what unite, unites us where we are planted. It is the common ground for common Unity. I love how First uh, Psalms one talks about blessed is the man who does not delight in the wicked, but but he but delights in, in the, and meditates on the law. It's like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields fruit in season. Like you got to be planted in the Word of God if you want to produce the right fruit of your life. If you want to produce unity, then you got to have a firm foundation. God's Word is the hope. It's like the anchor to our soul that's firm and secure. When we are when we are wanting to be pulled away and drifted away. God's word is the anchor that calms us ground, that, that gives us the common ground. Last year, we did a series called the Solar Series, understanding what are the, what are the foundations of our faith that we need to not unite around. Don't get lost in the weeds of dividing over the non-salvation issues, but allow the word of God to ground you in the faith and in the, in the, in the principles and the, in the, the fundamentals of Christ. So if you get to find your footing, so get into the word. Know the word. Stay true to the word. Second, you got to fix your focus. We got to fix our focus. We got to focus on the right thing. There's a lot of things that are going to pull for our distraction. Philippians 3 tells us, Paul says, not that I've already attained all this, I'm still working through it, or I've already arrived at my goal, I'm still running this race. But what I do is I press on. I press on to take hold of that which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to take hold of it yet. Just reminding you again, I'm still running the race. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining towards what ahead, I press on to win the prize, which Christ called me heavenward. We are called to stay focused. We call to fix our focus on him. And how many people know there are a lot of distractions that can pull us. There's a lot of competition that can pull us off the realm. But some of us need to have a loud competition and distraction to keep us fighting for the main thing. And you bring in distractions into your home. You bring in distractions into your marriage. You bring in distractions even into our church. And God's saying, no, no, you got to, Peter, Paul's telling us, you got to fight for the right thing. You got to keep your focus here. You got to forget. Sometimes we're, we're held by yesterday's issues. 
Sometimes we're just focused on yesterday's problems and yesterday's things that you've been forgiven, that you've been filled with grace for. And God's saying, no, Peter's telling you, you gotta, you gotta, not Peter, not God, not Peter, Paul, that guy, is telling us to fix our forward. You gotta fix forward. You gotta focus on what's in front of you. It's our common pursuit. This is where we get to celebrate the successes of others because we're all in this race together. So when I hear of church down the street that's making expansion and adding and making room for new people, I don't need to go, oh, when are we gonna build our new building? I can be like, awesome. We're building the kingdom of God in Concordia. Like, why would I get, ex- like, we're all on the same team. We're all running the same race. We're all going to the same pursuit. Why would I be jealous about their success? I'm cheering him on. I'm cheering the church on as they pursue and continue to grow and make room for people to know and find Jesus. We're on the same team. We're fixing our focus. We're not fighting each other. We're fighting the devil, and we're focusing the same direction. And the last thing is we're going to follow his command. We're going to follow his command. What does Jesus tells us in John 13? He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you may love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Who's he talking to in this? He's talking to the loving one another is one another. It's the people of God. It's the church of God. It's the ecclesia of Christ. Love one another. And as you love one another, even though you're different, even though you see things different, you come from different backgrounds, again, the church is getting messy now because it's not just Jews anymore. Now it's Gentiles too. Starting to grow up. It's going to be just different cultures, different backgrounds, different perspectives. As you begin to come together and focus on me and have a clear mission, I want you to love one another. And your pursuit of loving one another is going to be a witness, is the faithful witness of who I am and what I've come to do. The everyone is those outside the church. That they're going to see how we act to one another. Yes, we're called to love our enemy and pray for those who persecute us. But this is not that context. This is the context of loving those who are on the same team. Join hand in hand. Fight together. Stay together. Walk together. Strive together. Pursue Jesus together. Love one another. And the unity that happens in the church, the unity that happens in the Ecclesia of Christ will bear witness and will point people to me. Like that is the uniting factor. That is the witness. That is our faithful witness is how we love one another, how we fight for common unity. And we allow the spirit of competition. We just keep bearing it allow God's community to grow within us. Because of this, we can join hands with other churches and other leaders in our community. And we can fight with a common cause. Fight for common. I am committed, church, to a church of community. I'm committed to the value of community within our community, within our church, within our assembly, but within our community, within our region. I believe we are better together. See, what is the uniting values? We are all united under the good news of Jesus that every one of us have experienced God's faithfulness in our past. We've experienced God's present in our future, in our present, God's power in our present, rather, and his hope in our future. This is what unites all of us together. And so by his grace and for his glory, we're gonna value community over competition. And I pray you'll join me. I pray you'll join me. I pray that that'll be a value that you find worth fighting for. And so in the conversations that happen outside of this building, in your home, in your small group, or in the, in your, when you're talking to somebody else from another church, and you feel the ugliness rising in your heart of competition, of wanting to say, yeah, but, that's great, but, let me tell you, 
you will suppress it by God's grace. Submit it to him. You'll celebrate the truth. Yes. As we're on the same team together. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your good news and your grace that sought after each one of us. God, we thank you for the value of community, for the ecclesia of God, the ecclesia of Christ that, that called us out of darkness and into this wonderful light. God, we thank you for the unifying spirit that found us where we were, lost in our own sin, lost in our own darkness, lost in our own selfishness, lost in our own vain pursuits, and that you united us under a common banner, united us with a common goal, united us with a common spirit, serving one God. And so, God, we are just so faithful. We're so thankful for that invitation. And, God, we pray that we would continue to pursue the main thing, that we'd work together hand in hand, celebrating your goodness and your faithfulness in our lives and what you're doing in our church, but whilst you're doing in churches all around our community. We thank you that we are not the church, but we are part of your great church. We are part of the ecclesia of Christ. And so, God, I pray that we would be live on mission for your, by your grace and for your glory. Precious name. God, this morning, I just want to even take a moment right now. We're just going to pray for all the pastors in our community. We're praying for all the churches in our community. We're praying for all the Jesus-centered, Bible-believing communities as they, as they promote and preach the name of Jesus. God, we pray you'd bless them tenfold, God. Provide for their needs according to your riches and glory. Bring people in. God, I pray you would just, that the, 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 the facilities that they have will not contain the overflowing spirit that you want to pour out onto them. And God, that we will continue to see people grow and know you because of your faithfulness and your goodness. God, we are fighting for your church. We are building your name and your reputation. And we just are so thankful that you invite us into the journey. Thank you for including us. We love you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Well, I hope that message was an encouragement to you today. I want to challenge you to stay tuned and take a listen to Sunday Encore, where we have a more candid conversation about the practical application of Sunday's message.